with our sermon study. Um, would like to point out the gold inserts, especially again for our guests who may not know that that's there, um, as an opportunity to uh, kind of follow along um, as we uh, go through our, our sermon study today. Dear friends, for those of you who are naturally wired like me to be planned out and organized, um, I have some good news for us, and we sometimes need good news because the truth is that a lot of times people don't get us, and they think that we're too planned out, and they think that we're not a lot of fun because we're not spontaneous, and so I wanted to let you in on some good news. There was a study that was done um, just recently, and the results found this, and I'll, I'm going to summarize. This is my summary, and then I'll explain it. The result was that spontaneity is overrated, okay? So, made me feel good. Now, um, the study was testing or seeing how does vacation affect a person's mood? And so, what they did was, first of all, study um, happiness indicators like stress levels and, and happiness levels and, and, and just energy level of people after getting off of a vacation. And what they found was quite interesting that after about a couple days to a week, the, there was virtually no difference between a person who had been on vacation and a person who never went on vacation at all. So long story short, to say it another way, going on vacation does not have long-lasting effects on your happiness. But they also did the same test of happiness levels on people who were waiting to go on vacation, on people who had a vacation planned out, <coughs> type A people, planned out, right? And so they, they found that for those people, the anticipation for what they knew was coming, the excitement over what had been planned and put on the calendar, that the happiness levels were higher than the average or the norm for weeks and or even months. My summation, spontaneity is overrated. And if you want the most, you know, sort of bang for your vacation buck, the most happiness out of your vacation or trip, be sure to plan it out months or weeks ahead of time and then have something to look forward to. Now, would you agree in general with the results of this study? I mean, does it seem to make sense? I mean, I know it's, I don't know about you, it's true for me. I enjoy having that thing on the calendar to look forward to, and part of the problem with not having vacation is now, or being done, is there's nothing more to look forward to, at least not in the immediate time. Um, there's an example of this in the Bible, too. In the Old Testament, there was a man named Jacob, and uh, he has head over heels in love with a, a woman named Rachel. So eventually, he asked uh, Rachel's dad, you think I could marry your daughter? And uh, his, his answer was, Probably, but first you need to work for me for seven years, be my slave for seven years, and then I might give you my daughter. Now, men, we love our wives, work for them for seven years, I think we all would say absolutely to that, right? Um, but that's a long time. Listen to what um, the Bible writes about Jacob as he's thinking about this. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because he had something to look forward to, because of his great love for her. Now, what we have planned out and waiting for us in the future has an effect on our happiness and peace and joy in the present. It's just true. My question is, how are you feeling about the future? 
I know I'm not that old, but I am old enough to say and to observe something. Over the last five to ten years, everyone's talk about the future stinks. Doesn't it? Do you look at the future with joy or with fear? For the first time in American history, since this country began, uh, there was a survey done. For the first time, adults said that the country of their children is going to be worse than the country they live in. First time that's ever happened is in our culture right now. People don't look forward to the future that much. College students aren't quite as excited to graduate. They still are, but not quite as much because they don't know where their job is going to be or come from. Working people, we still look forward to retirement someday, but how are the investments going to work out? Is Social Security going to even be around, right? Parents, we fear sometimes the future for our kids. And we're in the year 2012, there's a whole contingent of people that don't think we're going to make it through the year. And we may not, by God's good grace, but it'll have nothing to do with the Mayan calendar. It seems like right now, with those things and maybe some other personal things that we are facing, that our tendency when thinking of the future can be more of despair than happiness, more fear than joy. We're going to address that this morning. Um, we're in the second week of our series, Red Letter Day. And um, in our lives, we say a lot of things. Most of them are forgettable. Some of them we wish we never said. I wish I could take that back, right? But a time of life when people say things that are memorable is often when someone you love is near death or passing away. Some of you remember things that a parent or a loved one said um, the weeks or even moments leading up to their death. Uh, the things you say at the end when it's hard to talk and you're not feeling well, they mean something. It's a picture or a window into their heart and who they are. We're taking a look at the words that Jesus spoke at the very end of his life as he was in pain on, and hanging on the cross for us. And last week, uh, Steve did a good job of really painting a picture of the brutality and violence of crucifixion. And the truth is, is that this was a very public, very excruciating, very humiliating type of way to die. In fact, most crucifixions, if not all, were done right outside the city gate right along the main road, the interstate, so that everyone coming into town and coming out of town would see this, young and old. And for the Romans, it was an intimidation thing. Here's what happens if you're not a good citizen. Here's what could happen if, if you don't listen to us and to our laws. And so Jesus was crucified with two other, the Bible calls them, thieves. Now, remember, crucifixion was reserved for the most hardened and horrible of criminals. So when you think of these two guys, and they're, they're thieves, don't think, took a pack of gum at the area convenience store, okay? The things they did, just the mere fact that they were being crucified, was meant that whatever they stole was likely accompanied with a great deal of violence and most probably murder 
or murderers. The Bible says one was crucified to Jesus' right and one to his left. And that's where we pick it up in Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. So the first criminal responds to all that he's endured and seen while he's writhing in pain, and he joins in with the rest of the crowd, and he hurls his insults at Jesus and is like, come on, you're still talking about this king thing? Um, if you're a king, if you're the savior, then save us. Get us down from here. Verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked the first. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are, he confesses his sin, we are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. What happened, or what was happening in this second thief? You know, it's pretty interesting when you put the Gospels together. You read from the Gospel of Matthew, and it tells us that at the beginning of the crucifixion, so that is about nine in the morning, when they were first crucified, guess what the second thief was doing too? Matthew records they were both hurling insults at Jesus. They were both mocking him and who he said he was or claimed to be. But something happened inside that criminal as he hung on the cross. Something happened. I don't know what it was. Could it have been with Jesus' mother Mary and the disciples kind of gathered near the, near the crosses that he began to listen and overheard some of the things they were saying about what a sham Jesus' crucifixion was? And some of the things that Jesus had done or said, could that be? Possibly. Could it be, and I think more likely, that this criminal took in the entire environment of the day and saw all the hatred towards Jesus. And then he heard the words that Jesus spoke that just blew his mind that we saw last week. To these people who hated his guts, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I don't know what exactly the words were, but I know that the Holy Spirit was vigorously at work in the heart of this hardened, at one time, hardened criminal and violent man. Bloodied and bruised and tired, he has a request for Jesus, verse 42. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me? <laughs> That's not a question you ask someone who's about to die. The person who's about to die asks you who's alive to remember. You tell your teenage child going off to college, remember me. You ask a, a buddy who has season tickets to your favorite team, hey, remember me. You don't ask someone an hour away from death to remember you unless what? Unless you know or believe that his death will not be the end. You don't ask a guy minutes away from his death to remember you in his kingdom unless you believe that he is a king and has a kingdom. You know what was going on in this sinner's heart? We see hope and trust 
we see faith in this request. We see faith in Jesus. And guess what? Even more surprising than the request of the criminal was the response of our Savior. Verse 43. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. I've been uh, trying to think about the best unexpected news I've ever received that just kind of, you know, blew me back for a moment. Um, these are, these are going to pale in comparison, but that's the point. <laughs> um, when I was in college, my, it was about a week away from spring break, or I'm not, not spring break, Christmas break, so it was cold, and my Christmas break was going to uh, uh, be going back to cold Wisconsin and enjoying the snow. About a day or two before we left, my grandma called me at college and said, hey, uh, for various reasons, she explained, um, we can't, we've got uh, tickets uh, to, uh, airplane tickets to Cancun and some hotel reservations that we can't use. Um, would you like to go? Sometimes there are questions that just don't need an answer, right? <laughs> Why are you calling? Just change the name. I'm ready. I remember uh, freshman year, too, uh, thinking about uh, and hearing about uh, a cute girl that I had a crush on named Carrie, um, finding out that she not only noticed me, but actually might like me. Might is the real word, but ended up being a good thing. That pushed me back for a moment. Good news, unexpected, and good. What about you? There is nothing, no good news that has ever been received that can top this. No more unexpected news that could ever top what that criminal had heard. Think about it for a moment. You know a lot about the last hours of Jesus' life. It's recorded for us in the scripture. I want you to consider something the Bible doesn't tell us. What would the last hours have been like leading up to this day for this criminal? Death row inmate. No hope. You know, today in our culture, we try to be as humane as we can be with the death penalty. The Romans, they just let you have it. No hope, despair, no future. What's going to happen to me? In fact, likely, his whole life was filled with hopelessness. You don't become a hardened criminal by having a lot of hope and joy in your life. And yet at the very last moment, it was like a grandma calling just at the moment you have to go back to the cold tundra of Wisconsin on Christmas break. But better, Jesus says, today, today your destination has just changed. Today you will be with me in the only place worthy of the name paradise. You see me now, bloodied and bruised and hanging here on the cross. You will see me later, today, in my glory as the Son of God, and through the work and gift of forgiveness that I give you. Now, good news for him. Where does that leave us? Well, in a lot of ways, we're not so different than those thieves. We steal things sometimes. Sometimes we're guilty of stealing time. 
We spend hours or years of our life focused mostly on the pursuits of this world, maybe. While God has given us just a limited amount of time, and we're not sure how much that is, we, at times, are guilty of stealing time from God for things that he would want us to do or attitudes he would want us to have. Maybe we've spent in our past years wandering from God, stole those years from God, but by his grace, we've come back to him. Maybe you're struggling with that right now. I think sometimes we steal praise from God. How easy it is to pat ourselves on the back. Or maybe more than saying, oh, I'm a great person. We steal praise because we never give him the praise that he is due. (laughs) We never give him the thanks or praise or honor that he is due because we forget that everything I've got today is a gift from his hand. We sometimes steal joy. Um, Married people. I'm the first to confess. When we are not the husbands and wives that God has intended us to be, we are stealing joy from the life of our partner who has committed to be with us for this life. And that's sin, to steal joy that God has intended for them. We steal joy from acquaintances because we make mountains out of molehills. And instead of just getting over it or moving on, we've got to push and push and push. Kids, sometimes you steal joy from your parents. Every single one of you, your parents were filled with joy when they heard that you were going to be born and when you were born. And at those times where we have attitude with our parents or we don't listen to them or we talk back or we're constantly fighting with our siblings, you're stealing joy from them. You've made it hard for them to be parents. We're like thieves in those and and many other ways. And yet, for thieves like you and me, that is why these words today we need to hear. These words bring so much comfort to us. Because if there is a picture of grace in the Bible, that is, undeserved love, that is all God and nothing us, I can't think of a better one than this. I mean, think about this criminal's opportunity to work or live for God, okay? No pun intended. His hands were kind of tied up. He wasn't going to be joining the local church and joining the evangelism committee or the fellowship committee. He wasn't going to be, you know, giving a certain portion of income back to the Lord. He did not have that kind of time. He was going to be doing nothing for God. And yet, Jesus still told him, because it has nothing to do with that. That today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Sometimes we get into certain moods and certain ideas, you know, wondering if we've done enough or we've been good enough or all these questions that the devil wants us to ask ourselves. And Jesus tells us today through this interaction with the criminal that it doesn't matter. That does not matter when it comes to your salvation. And because we are not hanging on a cross with minutes to live, you have opportunities here on out to live for him. But our salvation is not based on that. But all on God, nothing with us. 
Now, where does that leave us? We started by talking about spontaneity versus having something to look forward to in the future. When I was a, a kid, we uh, spent about 10 years in El Paso, Texas, and uh, when I was probably about fourth or fifth grade, um, parents uh, had decided that we were all going to go to uh, Disneyland in California. And um, so that meant driving through New Mexico, driving through Arizona, driving up part of California to the Los Angeles area. Now this was the mid-1980s, so there weren't SUVs and conversion vans were, you know, just they were further and far in, farther in between. So what we had was like the economy-sized station wagon. It was a Dodge Aries, it had the fake wood on the sides, and we loved it, but it was not big. In a time where there wasn't you know, as many seatbelt laws as we have today, what my parents decided to do was to fold down that back bench, right? And then the three of us kids would just kind of like a can sardines, just you know, deal with it, you know? Um, and so it was, a, it was a long trip. There was no portable uh, video games at that time. Uh, the pull-down DVD player was not a part of the Dodge Aries uh, you know, package. Um, there were no iPads. I think I had a Walkman, and I vaguely remember rocking out to Michael Jackson Thriller or something like that, but uh, we didn't have the luggage carrier that actually had the top on it, you know? So whenever it started raining, my dad looked for the first overpass to stop and pull tarps over. And I never really understood, like, Dad, why didn't we do this, like, when we left? But that was just how my dad rolled, too, and we just did what he said. So um, from all intents and purposes, there was not a lot of joy in that trip. There wasn't a lot to, you know, be happy about. I don't know if I'd ever want to do that again, but... We totally enjoyed it. And you know why? Because we knew where the Dodge Aries was taking us. And the destination made all the difference in how we felt about the present. When you um, think about your future, whether because of social things, uh, economic things, whether it's because the Lord has laid something very personal on your heart and, and put a challenge in your life right now, How can we find joy in the moment as the future seems to be so uncertain? Trips to Disneyland for everyone? Have the type A people get together and plan out vacations for us? We'd love to do it. When I was uh, studying this section this week, um, I've read it countless amount of times. But the thing that struck me this time, for whatever reason, is the happiest, most joy-filled time of that criminal's life was the last few minutes or hours as he hung on a cross. Not because he felt good. Not because his, he was looking forward to something in this life because for the very first time he had the hope of something eternally significant the sure hope of heaven and my challenge to you is you're blessed beyond this criminal he had an hour to live in that joy 
May you and I, no matter what challenge is in front of us, as we think of the future, may we live in that same joy every day. Amen. Please stand.